Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. I recently heard a quote from a friend. If everything seems under control, you're just not going fast enough. That was said by the record-setting race car driver, Mario Andretti. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never been in a Formula One car or any other kind of supercar. But I can remember very clearly the first car I learned to drive in. When I was about to enter high school, this church, Grace, donated money for my parents to be able to buy a car when we went back to the mission field in the Philippines. And so they went and found a converted Japanese Suzuki van where the steering column had been transferred from the right side to the left. And it had a split cab with benches in the back to fit up to, I don't know, 10 or 12 people. It had four speeds with a manual transmission. And it felt like the engine was run on little hamsters racing around in their wheels. But it was the first vehicle we were able to buy in the Philippines. And we named it Gracie in honor of the church who had made it possible. And so that was the car that I learned to drive with. And I can distinctly remember the first time that I got it up over 80 kilometers an hour, which is just about 50 miles an hour. The whole chassis started to shake a bit and the van let out this whine that I was sure meant one of the hamsters was having a stroke. And until a few moments earlier, I was in control. I was braking and accelerating. I was steering. Now, I wasn't sure whether the car was going to lift off the ground or start smoking and come to a halt. I wasn't in control anymore. Thankfully, it turned out okay, but I'm sure you've had a similar experience. And today, we're gonna be talking about what to do when we realize that life feels out of our control. How do we regain composure? How do we handle the stress? Let's read together from 1 Samuel chapter 29. The Philistines gathered all their forces at Aphek, and Israel camped by the string in Jezreel. As the Philistine rulers marched with their units of hundreds and thousands, David and his men were marching at the rear with Achish. The commanders of the Philistines asked, What about these Hebrews? Achish replied, Is this not David, who was an officer of King Saul of Israel? He already has been with me for over a year, and from the day he left Saul until now, I have found no fault with him. But the Philistine commanders were angry with Achish and said, Send the man back, that he may return to the place you assigned him. He must not go with us into battle, or he will turn against us during the fighting. How better could he regain his master's favor than by taking the heads of our own men? Isn't this the David they sang about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands? So Achish called David and said to him, As surely as the Lord lives, you have been reliable, and I would be pleased to have you serve with me in the army. From the day you came to me until today, I have found no fault in you. But the rulers don't approve of you. Now turn back and go in peace. Do nothing to displease the Philistine rulers. 
But what have I done? asked David. What have you found against your servant from the day I came to you until now? Why can't I go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? And Achish answered, I know that you have been as pleasing in my eyes as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the Philistine commanders have said, he must not go up with us into battle. Now, get up early, along with your master's servants who have come with you, and leave in the morning as soon as it is light. So David and his men got up early in the morning to go back to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last week, Pastor Chris taught through the chapter right before this, where we got to see Saul preparing for the battle of the Philistines. Now, he felt cornered, alone, and desperate. And the word on the street was that his former military general and ex-son-in-law, David, was fighting on the Philistine side now. And so in chapter 29 that we just read, that acts as a flashback of sorts to show what was happening on the Philistine side of the equation at the same time. And by the end, we see that David would not be fighting on the Philistine side after all. But while we get to read about this in 11 short verses, and it seems clear and straightforward because of how the narrator has structured this for us, it was anything but clear and straightforward for David while he was living through it. Now, if you remember, David has been on the run from Saul for quite some time. And he and his troop of 600 fighting men have moved with their families to the Philistine area around Gath and have hired themselves out to the Philistine king, Achish. Now, in exchange for their services, they've gotten a remote city of their own, Ziklag, where they've been able to settle with their families and had a fair amount of autonomy. They're safe from Saul's pursuit, and they're out from under the watchful eye of Achish. So what that means is, when they go out on raids to nearby areas, they're able to wreak havoc on the historical enemies of Israel, all the while telling Achish that they're actually attacking Israelite towns. And so Achish is delighted, since he figures that David is making himself a pariah in Israel, so he'll never be able to go home and he'll have to stay in the service of Achish for life. Now, if David is raiding Israelite towns and leaving no survivors, he must have fully turned his back on his people. So Achish enlists him as his personal bodyguard. And that's how David finds himself marching at the back of the Philistine army, dutifully strutting alongside his patron and master, King Achish. Now, Achish must have been feeling pretty good. He's marching out to battle his longtime enemies while being personally protected by Israel's best warrior. David, the giant slayer, is at King Achish's beck and call. And then the other military commanders of the Philistines call for a private audience with King Achish. Um, what are these Hebrews doing here? See, the Philistine commanders call out the elephant at the rear of the parade. They're on their way to fight Israel. And yet, there are enemies among them. But Achish isn't faced. No, 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 no. Don't worry. They're being led by David. Yeah, that's right. David, who used to serve King Saul. Well, I got him to come to our side. He's been doing my bidding for over a year now. Now, unfortunately, Achish's bubble gets burst almost immediately when the military commanders reply angrily, Heck no, is he coming with us? You want to keep him around your house, that's on you. Send him back there. 
but there's no way he's coming into battle with us. Don't you realize that he'll just turn on us during the fighting? We know that he's been on the outs with King Saul, but what better way to get back into his good graces than to double-cross us and deliver King Saul a decisive win? And to really drive the point home, they invoke the old song. Don't you remember that fun little tune that made the rounds a couple years ago? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands? He's Saul's lackey, not yours. And just how do you think he got the nickname Giant Slayer? He beat our giant. No, no, no. There's no way he's coming with us into battle. Now, Achish must have felt called out, judged. How dare they speak to him like that? He's the king. But what if they're right? Maybe he was being naive. No, no, no. He knew David was loyal to him. So the best thing would be to keep the peace between all his other commanders and just send David back without making him think that Achish didn't trust him. After all, he couldn't afford to lose his personal bodyguard who had practically crawled to him, desperate for a new master, one even better than Saul. So Achish calls David to speak to him and he goes above and beyond with the kind words. He reiterates three separate times how pleased he has been with David and how well David has proved himself to Achish by being loyal and upfront with him. And I can only imagine what was going through David's head at this point. The day started out with him marching at the back of the Philistine army, and he had probably been sweating the whole time. David was caught in a conundrum. His fleeing from Saul drove him to hide in the Gath among the Philistines, Israel's mortal enemy. He's supposed to be the next king of Israel. And so he's been working behind the scenes to fight the enemies of Israel while under Achish's rule. That way, he could always say that he was over in Gath as a double agent. Achish is none the wiser, so it's been working out well. But now, he's been called to fight with the rest of the Philistine army. There was no way that he can be a part of a battle against Israel and still convince them later on that he only ever had their best interests at heart and that he's still fit to be king. But he can't blow his cover with Achish. He's been torn all day. Should he abandon Achish and be at the mercy of Saul's pursuit again? Or does he let Achish's delights come true by fighting in this battle and ensuring that he'll never again be able to return to Israel? But what can he do? He's been playing the part of Achish's mercenary for hire so long that he's beginning to lose his grip on what life was like before all the lying and raiding and hiding and anxiety. And it's not just like his life is on the line. He's got a whole community of people looking to him for safety. His fighting men, their wives and children, animals, they've been building a life here. And it's not so easy to just pick up and leave all that with no guarantees of safety anywhere else. His only option is to keep playing the part and just hope for some way out. Have you ever felt this way? Caught in a difficult circumstance that is outside of your control? It's easy to feel constant anxiety, stress, worry. You try to control what you can, but then even small inconveniences trigger you and you have angry outbursts. So David yells back at Achish out of nowhere, but what have I done to deserve the suspicion and distrust? 
Haven't I served you perfectly and, and always been honest with you? Why can't I be a part of this battle? And, and you might be like me, a little confused as to what David is doing here. He seems to have hurt feelings from Achish sending him away from the battle. Is this all a ruse or is this real? I mean, it makes sense if it's a ruse. He's playing the part. And if he shows how relieved he is at the news of his dismissal, then his cover's blown. So he's got to stay in the good graces of Achish because he still needs safe harbor for himself and his people. But there's a part of me that wonders if at least some of David's offense is real. I mean, he's played the part so well that he's actually hurt they don't trust him. This whole charade has been based on his smooth talking and charisma, and he's even starting to buy what he's been selling. See, he's starting to place his confidence in his own ability to spin a story. And so, when someone questions his honesty, it feels like an attack against his character, a judgment on his personhood, because he's been building his identity on the stories he's been telling. Who he is is built upon what he's been able to accomplish. And when someone starts scratching at the surface of those efforts and abilities, who knows what else might start to crumble. To paraphrase something Jesus said, when you live by your word, you die by your word. See, David is finding that when his foundation is built only on himself, the storms of life can feel really strong and threatening. And without anything else to rely on, he's got to double down on his own charisma and smooth talking. And so, even though the Philistine commanders are actually coming to his rescue by getting him out of this conundrum he finds himself in, all he can focus on is their distrust of him. They're questioning his carefully curated character that he's working so hard to portray. And since it's all he's got, he's got to protect it. See, what we're seeing in this story is how people act when they don't have the Lord to rely on. Many of you might remember that the way that David ended up in Gath in the first place was that he was beginning to doubt that God would bring about his promise to make David king. It seemed like Saul would never give up. And even though Samuel had anointed David as the next king, David felt pretty sure he would be killed before seeing that come about. So he made a decision based on his doubt in God. And he ran away to Gath, where he could rely on his own abilities to get by. And so this chapter shows us where that has gotten him. He's caught in a double life of trying to save himself while also trying not to cut off his chances to someday be king of Israel. In this story, we see David living his life apart from the Lord without control. Even though he's got a brave face on, he's not confident. He's cornered. And even though he's the personal bodyguard to the king, he's not secure. He's scheming. He's just trying to regain control, regain composure, regain some amount of confidence by just continuing to play the part he's been playing. And even though our focus is on David, he's not the only one showing us what life is like apart from the Lord. Achish is also operating on his own word apart from the Lord. So when he's called out, he jumps into action to try and keep the peace. He rushes to make sure to save face with David. He doesn't want to lose David's loyalty, but he also doesn't want 
David to start something with the other commanders, so he sends him away early in the morning. It's better to just avoid conflict and move on. That way, everything can just stay in their own little domains, and they don't have to get in the way of each other, and Achish can hold on to the little bits of control he has. Now, the Philistine commanders show us another version of living apart from the Lord. Relying only on their own abilities, they're constantly suspicious. They don't have time to just sit back and survey the whole story. They are focused on the mission at hand. Everything else that gets in the way has to be eliminated. Minimize the distractions. Cut out the weaknesses. It doesn't matter if they need to bulldoze over people on their way to accomplishing their task. Listen, when we build our life, our reputation on our own effort, our own cunning, our abilities, we will always be looking over our shoulder. We will always be waiting for the other shoe to drop. And you know what that feels like, right? You try and control what you can. You manipulate who you can. You massage the details. You contain the story. It's exhausting. And it's impossible. So even though you think you're keeping things together, you're really just living with a baseline of anxiety at all times. So you manage the anxiety by self-medicating with distractions like shopping or experiences or substances. Or you just stuff it down, hoping it won't bubble over or explode all over the people closest to you. See, living on our own, apart from God, trying to stay in control, isn't a way of life. Because the only place it leads to is death. Death of our relationships. Death of our dreams. Death of our mental and emotional help. This is no way to live. That's why we need the good news that brings life to this type of situation. And so I want you to remember this next statement I'm about to give you. Write it down if that's helpful. Repeat it after me if that's better. Are you ready? Here it is. God is great. So I don't have to be in control. God is great. So I don't have to be in control. When I live my life by trying to stay in control of the situations around me, it's because I believe deep down that God isn't powerful enough to be involved in those areas of my life. Or I think he isn't concerned with those areas of my life. Or I think he's too weak to make any real change. Now, do we actually believe those things? No, of course not. But we're living as if those things are true. But the truth is that God is great, so I don't have to be in control. See, when you base your life on the fact that God is great, that he's powerful, that he's able, you realize that you don't have to anxiously work or coerce or manipulate to get your way. If I truly believe that God is over everything, and if I believe Jesus when he tells us that God's kingdom is here now, then I can trust that God has a plan and is working towards that end. So instead of working towards my ends, I can ask God, what's his desire for this moment in this area of my life? He's already working towards the restoration of all things, and we can join him in that work. David had lost sight of the fact that God is great. He had forgotten that God presides over everything. He had forgotten that God is working to bring about his kingdom, 
David didn't even realize when God used the Philistine commanders to get David out of a battle that would have jeopardized his ability to be the next king of Israel. When we forget that God is great and is working to bring about his kingdom, it's easy to get caught up trying to build our kingdoms. I get caught up working to secure my rights. I focus on making sure to plan my retirement. I work hard to advance my career. I ensure to always give the best to my kids. I spend my energy trying to improve my life. But we've already seen where building our kingdoms leads. Anxiety, exhaustion, suspicion, overwork, cunning and scheming, sleepless nights, and joyless accomplishments. But Jesus came preaching for us to repent from our old way of life. Stop, turn, change from building our own kingdoms and believe in his kingdom. Believe means to put our trust in, put our active faith in, put our hands where our heart is in proclaiming his kingdom. And it's so much better to proclaim Jesus' kingdom because that's where we can know that we are adopted as God's child. We can know we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're called according to God's purposes. In Jesus' kingdom, we can know that we're chosen. We can know that we're sent by Jesus just as the Father sent him. We're members of Christ's body with a purpose bigger than our own lives. We're confident of the sure hope of resurrection. Friends, we don't have to try to build our own kingdom in order to garner worth or security. God has already claimed us and provided for us, and now he's inviting us to join him in his work. So if you look at your life and you realize that you've been building your own kingdom in some areas, there's good news for you today. You're a part of a church family. So find someone to talk to this week. Ask them to help you figure out what fear or concern is driving you to feel like you need to provide for yourself in that area of your life. Ask them how God might be leading in a different direction or how he might have already provided for that need so that you can begin to put your trust and reliance in him. Trust me when I tell you that trying to build your own kingdom, trying to build your life on your own abilities is nowhere near as fulfilling and secure as submitting to Jesus as your Lord and stepping into his kingdom. Jesus is better See, in my kingdom, I can say, I hope people like me, so I'll keep others happy. But in Jesus' kingdom, I can say, I am accepted. In my kingdom, I can say, I hope things work out, so I'll keep working hard. But in Jesus' kingdom, I can say, I am secure. In my kingdom, I can say, I hope this all means something, so I'll strive to get ahead. But in Jesus' kingdom, I can say, I am significant. So may our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ help you to build your life on the firm foundation of the good news that God is great. And we can always trust him to be with us. Amen. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.